Welcome back, listening audience, to another episode of Noggin Notes. Thanks for downloading the podcast and sticking with us as always. We appreciate your loyalty. And if you want to show us that appreciation at a deeper level, you can go to audibletrial.com slash notes and download a free 30-day trial of Audible. What is Audible? Audible is a comprehensive library of unmatched selection of audiobooks and other audio um, presentations, news, information, uh, different or, uh, original topics, and it's an Amazon company, so they have a lot of power and pull. And what you get with your free trial is a free audiobook. So you can cancel at any time. There's no commitment. Uh, you do have to enter in your credit card to complete the purchase, but um, there is no actual purchase being made. I should say complete the registration. Um, but then you can cancel at any time inside those 30 days. Keep your audiobook, and you'll help out Noggin Notes. Uh, we, we would love that. AudibleTrial.com slash Noggin Notes. It's free, and it's good for everyone. And you get access to uh, possibly the most expansive audiobook library on the planet. I just made that up. I hope Audible doesn't um, chastise me for that. But it's really cool. I did it, and uh, I'm choking on my own spit. But uh, that's what happens when you do what amounts to live radio while you're eating a meal. Uh, (laughs) I got some feedback recently about how humorous it is that I do things like that when I'm just reading because um, I, I don't I don't go back and edit these things too heavily. I don't stop and re-record. I just move through because um, it, I'm busy and I, I just I just don't have a lot of time. But the other half of why I do that is to share with the listening audience it's okay to, to make mistakes. It's okay to be fallible. It's okay to stumble and and move through and uh, not lose uh, the content. I don't think it's uh, distracting. I think it's okay to poke fun at yourself and um, and not take yourself too seriously. And I've said repeatedly in different forums and and um, and different formats that although I take my work very very seriously, I don't take myself very seriously. And I think that's important because sometimes people get wrapped up in taking themselves too seriously, and when they do that, the the message is sometimes lost. So let's try not to confuse the message with the uh the conduit of the message because the conduit can be, you know, anybody anywhere and anytime and um and the message itself can still re- retain some very important information that is good for the the listener or the absorber. So this podcast is my interview with uh, Whitney Goodman. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in Miami, Florida. She's got her own agency. She also hosts in that own in her own agency a series of practitioners who essentially share a space. Uh, she can explain more about that when we when we get into the interview. But the topic of today's podcast is toxic positivity, and we explore that in some length and depth, and I think you'll you'll probably find it interesting. I know I did. Um, I think it's something to be mindful of when we're perusing social media, and, uh, and we don't want to necessarily let other people's insistent messaging uh, push us or challenge us or influence us to in ways that we don't necessarily desire or aren't necessarily healthy for us. So... We want to try to parse out the messages and make sure that they're not confusing or contradictory or that we're being pushed into um, some direction that we don't want to go. So toxic positivity is the topic of this podcast. I think Whitney does a very good job of explaining it, and I'm going to let you guys listen. I'm not going to tease it out anymore. As a reminder, we're always sponsored by Zephyr Wellness in addition to Audible. 
And I already said it a couple of times, but audibletrial.com slash is where you can get your free 30-day trial and support Notes. Zephyrwellness.org is where you can find out more about my agency that I co-own with my co-owner, Lindsay Bell, and all that we're doing to impact the community and help change all that we think we know about mental health and improve it for the benefit of all humanity. This is my interview with Whitney Goodman on the Notes podcast. Enjoy. So we're talking with uh, Whitney Goodman today, and hi, Whitney. Hi, how are you? I'm I'm excellent. Thank you for being with us. Uh, this is a treat. I always like to talk to people who are who I don't know and I've never laid eyes on, <laughs> and um, are, live you know all the way across the country, you know, four time zones away. And um, you're in you're in Florida. Tell us a little bit about what you do, your background, your marriage and family therapist. I know that much, and um, and how you how you got to be in Florida, because you're not originally from there, right? I am. I am. I'm, oh. I live in Miami now, and that's where my practice is based out of, but I'm originally from the West Coast of Florida, um, and I've been living in Miami for a while now. So gotcha. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, um, and I own the Collaborative Counseling Center. So out of this space, I provide uh, individual couples therapy to adults only. I mainly work with people who have been impacted by chronic illness. Um, and then I also see just a lot of regular everyday couples types of issues. My office is also a shared workspace for clinicians uh, and wellness professionals. So we've been open here like three months now. And we officially have 20 members, which is really exciting. Um, and everybody within this space is, is independent and providing different services. Um, I really wanted to create a place where therapists could do good work and be supported while keeping you know, their full fee and, and having access to a lot of different supportive resources. So that's what we've created here, and we're seeing how it goes. That's pretty innovative. I really like that idea because I think a lot of us have made – uh, private practice, and I'll put that in air quotes. Uh, the the um, the end goal of a career, and I think the reason that that's happened is because agency work historically has been so undesirable. Uh, you tend to either be in a a corporate setting where it's just a meat grinder, or you're working for somebody who's you know maybe just doesn't have your best interest in mind, and they're you know uh, they're they're on contract. You know they put you on contract or something, and there's some questionable ethics, and you know they put dollars ahead of client care. So what you're doing there by, by retaining the, the clinician autonomy. Uh, and I really appreciate that you said their full fee. I think that's, I think that's really important. Um, mm-hmm. it, it allows people to make their own decisions about how they go about doing their business. Um, and yet you retain the agency dynamic where you can staff things in the hallways and, and get the peer support and that kind of thing. So I think it's exactly. really cool. Exactly. That's pretty awesome. So, uh, the collaborative counseling center.com is the website or collab counseling.com. Either one will lead you to where you need to go. So if you happen to be listening in Florida and you're looking for assistance, um, reach out. You're, you're in Miami, right? Yes, I am in Miami, right in between Coral Gables and Brickell for anybody that's in this area. Okay. So yeah. And, and the hope is that people would uh, reach out and connect with you. Tell me, tell me a little bit about the, the chronic illness part of who you treat. Cause I think I heard you say you, you specialize in that and that's fascinating to me. It's something that I'm, I'm not super up to date on. I've, you know, I've, I've brushed against it a few times, but it's, it's not in my wheelhouse. And I'd like to hear more before we get into our, our topic of the day. Sure. So, you know, the, the beginning of my training was really in psycho oncology. So I worked a lot with 
cancer patients, their families, um, parents of children with cancer. And then throughout the course of that, I really realized that I, I enjoy health psychology. I really enjoy the combination of working with what's going on you know, in the physical body and how it's impacting people mentally and vice versa. There's not a lot of services for people who have long-term chronic disease that might not necessarily have a cure. It's more about maintenance. Um, And so I really work with people who are not trying to heal an illness through psychotherapy, but want to find different ways that they can manage their stress levels, manage what they're going through, have fulfilling relationships, you know, while having a chronic disease and, and also helping their caregivers and family members because that can be extremely stressful for people, you know, when they're mm-hmm. living with someone or caring for someone that isn't necessarily going to get better. Yeah, absolutely. I think we often overlook that uh, caregiver component from time mm-hmm. to time when when we're, you know, we're so focused on the patient and the patient suffering, the patient's misery. It's, it's like, well, no, there's, there's this whole network surrounding this person that also is under duress. And I appreciate you making that nod to those people. D- d- it sounds like you're you're uh, differentiating between healing somebody somebody's illness through psychotherapy and uh, illnesses that are not healable through psychotherapy, and it sounds like you're you're dancing toward a mind body connection, which I really really appreciate, and I'd like to dive into that. It probably could be a, a podcast in and of itself, but um, for the, for now, can you talk a little bit about some of the successes you've seen through people who have had physiological ailments? be healed or remediated through talk therapy and counseling? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, you know, there's there's a big separation between what psychotherapists provide and maybe what a medical professional is providing when really we can bridge the gap between the two of us. Absolutely. Um, and I know that with a lot of my clients with chronic illness, they're a little bit fearful to come to psychotherapy because they feel like they're doing that because they're making up their illness in their head or mm-hmm. it's not real or that, you know, we're just going to help them think differently. So what I really like to focus on is how can we help you manage symptoms, lessen symptoms, um, you know, deal with pain. And I think a lot of the success that I've seen is I do a lot of, um, somatic experiencing type interventions. I use the emotional freedom technique, the tapping, like a lot of different ways to access what's going on in the body and help people label that, how it's manifesting in the mind and make a connection between the two of those things. That's very cool. I think when we do that, we can really help people manage their pain, their distress, and also just be able to talk about what they're experiencing in their bodies, which is huge. Yeah, I think naming and claiming is a big component of that because uh, once you own it, uh, then you can address it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite authors regarding this topic? So I, the body keeps the score. I'm not even going oh, to say his name because I always butcher. Best, I always, I always want to say it with an accent, like Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah, Bessel, exactly. So I, I love that one. Um, Peter Levine is is somebody that I really rely on a lot. He's you know the mm-hmm. founder of Somatic Experiencing, and I use a lot of his stuff. Um, those would definitely be my top two. Have you ever heard of John Sarno? I don't know that I have. You should look up John Sarno, and he's got a book. He's got a couple books, but one called the The Divided Mind. I think you'd find okay. really enjoyable. 
Sure. Yeah, it sounds familiar. I've probably seen some stuff by him. William Glasser talks uh, some about that too, about the mind-body connection and how the, mm-hmm. I mean, the, for those of you who may be listening, it feels like we're getting a little bit into the weeds here, um, you know, <laughs> slinging professional lingo around. Um, I will just take you through a brief exercise because um, I, th- I think for a long time, our field was not ready to embrace, or at least maybe this was maybe the medical influence in our field was not ready to embrace the idea that the mind could manufacture physiological symptoms. And we still are carrying some of that residue with us today, even though that we're starting to, to punch through the, the veil a little bit, but to illustrate how powerful the mind is, I would just invite the listening audience to, to clear your minds for a moment and, uh, imagine if you will, a lemon and then imagine, uh, peeling that lemon and now imagine biting into that lemon and imagine the juice, you know, going all down your chin and whatnot. And, and if you're like me, you're probably salivating and yet there's no lemon in front of you. So the salivation is absolutely a physiological response to something you created in your mind. And therefore we can reasonably conclude that when people are under stress and they can't wrap their heads around what psychological distress is, they'll make a physiological ailment out of it. And that can range anywhere from, you know, sore muscles to uh, chronic back pain to fibromyalgia or ulcers or, or whatnot, headache, migraine headaches. A lot of these things that, you know, we go, well, we don't know where it originated, uh, but we got a pill to to treat it (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. um, and really de-stressing and owning emotional functioning. And that kind of thing is, is absolutely a way to get rid of some of those physiological mystery ailments that are, uh, eluding the, the medical profession as to their origin. So, um, I invite people to keep an open mind about this kind of thing. Cause you know, although we, you know, we're not going to talk therapy our way out of cancer necessarily. Um, although some people have, have experienced some spiritual, uh, healings. I, I'm not going to disavow that. Um, we definitely want to at least be open to the idea that the mind can, can affect the body. Um, talk about emotional freedom technique is I, that's new to me and I've, I've heard of it before, but I haven't, this, you're the first person I've talked to who's actually like been trained in it. Yeah. So I actually just recently did the training cause I've been super interested in learning more about Ooh, it. Good and timing then. And it's, it's a little bit, I guess, controversial of, of a technique because there has been a lot of research done that says that it is effective, but they haven't necessarily been able to demonstrate why it's effective. Hmm. Um, it's rooted in Chinese medicine, and, and my understanding is pretty similar to the idea of acupuncture. So it's that you're tapping on these acupressure points that run along the meridians of the body. Okay. What I have discovered with clients that I've used it with is that you're tapping on these points while you're repeating back um, a, a particular phrase to yourself. So that's related to whatever the client's going through. And I've noticed that what it does definitely do is kind of bring them out of their heads and allow to, you know, allow space to continue repeating some of these positive affirmations or saying, and you're really focused on it. Mm-hmm. So it has an impact versus when you tell a client, you know, you need to say 10 positive things to yourself every week. Like they're not really doing it or they're struggling with how to get themselves into that space. Um, I've also had clients, you know, express that it does help them with their stress levels and, you know, they report it. So for me, whether it's a placebo or a real effect, it feels good and it can't hurt them. Um, 
So I really liked integrating that into my practice and a lot of my clients have benefited from it. This sounds like EMDR meets mindfulness almost. And for those who don't know, EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Uh, are you, are you familiar with that or does it sound, does it sound similar? So, yeah, and I'm actually doing EMDR training in September. Oh, brilliant. Um, so I'm not trained in that yet, but it's next, next on my list. And it is, I think in the same, you know, ballpark, um, definitely very rooted in mindfulness. The EFT has a lot of also, uh, deep breathing in it and different types of like constricted breath work that you also use with the tapping. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's another mind-body therapy, you know, to help people get into their bodies and out of their heads. That's very cool. I, I like I like things that are on the on the cutting edge and you know are, are confrontational. I tend to embrace confrontation. <laughs> I, I think that's how people I, grow. I agree. It's it's awesome. Uh, I'm not interested in orthodoxy for orthodoxy's sake because I think that's how <laughs> we uh, we stay exactly where we are. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you saying that. But that is not why. I wanted you on the podcast. We were we were exchanging some emails about uh, something you're going to be doing upcoming, and I'm very interested in this concept called toxic positivity. So I will stop and let you elaborate, or at least start, and then we can elaborate. Yeah, so this is definitely a concept that's been around and has kind of been written about in psychological communities, you know, of of people studying the impact of this on a basic level. But what I, where I really like noticed this was when I first got on Instagram as a clinician and I would go around and see all these posts from people, you know, these bright, colorful posts basically saying like, smile, be happy, uh, love life. And, and I noticed that people really like kept sharing them, but didn't seem to get anything from it or I would hear from my clients like I hate that stuff Mm -hmm. you know I I didn't like when people said those types of phrases back to me Um, so I got super interested in this concept and even like I've been doing a lot more research into how positive thinking really even impacts us and and from what I found it's that positive thinking that is forced or prescriptive or kind of like shoved down our throats really leaves us feeling worse it yeah. doesn't help us yeah well i think it's it, it speaks to like a violation of autonomy you're you're like mm-hmm. you're you're basically imparting this onto somebody who may first of all may not be asking for it but also may maybe the wrong prescription you know just simply focusing on happiness positivity and joy is not warranted sometimes we just need to sit in our stuff and and endure it yep exactly and it, it's not in line with like what we know about emotional processing right like when we do things like this we're asking people to sort of just shut down flip their mood and get over it and we know that that doesn't work yeah and and i do a a thing sometimes where i'll i'll share with people the idea of like again you know it's a clear your mind technique where you say all right uh focus very much on um you know elephants you go, all right, I got the elephant in my head and then you say all right all right get the elephant out of your head and you say don't think about tigers it's like, well, then the tiger pops in. So essentially what you're doing is, you know, the brain doesn't process the not. It processes the thing. And so mm-hmm. if you're asking somebody, you know, like Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. You're like, well, now I'm focusing on worrying and happy. Like, which one do I pick? Uh, right, so, exactly. So, you know, introducing exactly. this, you know, trying to force people to think a certain way doesn't validate the process that they need to go through in order to let go of the 
the misery and be like, hey, yeah, you're you're miserable. You got a right to be miserable. All the things in your life that you've been through to make you miserable make complete sense. All right, your choice. Now, what do you want to do? And if somebody clears their throat and raises their hand and said, "I'd like some positivity, please," then you can throw memes at them, I suppose. But um, I, I suppose one thing that, that that the memes also do is it removes the human element. You know, it's a very mm-hmm. passive medium. Uh, we're just seeing these things float by. There's no human connection where somebody can sit next to you and say, look, man, I'm with you and I'm positive. I want you to be positive. Think happy thoughts. And then the person goes, all right, all right. I can see, you know, it's working for you. Maybe I'll, I'll try this hat on as opposed to just watching it dance across their computer screen or their, their mobile device. And it's just not very engaging. And I, you know, and I, I don't know. Sure. And I think it sends this message when we see those things being shared and all in front of us all the time of like, I'm supposed to be feeling like this. Yeah, there's a should. I'm feeling right now. Yeah, there's a should, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that shame, you know, component kind of falls into there of like, if everybody else is so happy, why am I feeling like this? Mm hmm. And then you're not allowed to be authentically miserable. Oh, you know, I just keep saying that because it's convenient. But you know, <laughs> you're not allowed to be authentically miserable because you're surrounded by all these this bombardment that says you're not allowed to be miserable. It's like, well, this is where I am. Why, why am I not allowed to, to be here? Uh, you know, it's well, come on, just jump on the positive meme train, man. Ignore your ignore what's really happening. And then when you ignore that, as we all know, it just manifests even even deeper and more greatly, and uh, we end up with, almost with a downward spiral. So. I guess, I guess I'm I'm curious now at this point, like who who originated the idea that it, there was toxic positivity, and and how does it become toxic, and how do we how do we like navigate that? So I'm actually not positive who even came up with that word. When I wrote about it, um, I made an Instagram post that like went viral, and I used that word, but it was kind of something that I just thought of but i know i'm definitely not the uh that's right we, you could t- you could take credit <laughs> and um people have a lot of issues with the word toxic though i got so many comments on that that when i actually wrote something about that post later i changed the word to dismissive positivity hmm. and and that was met with you know, less mixed reviews, but still, um, it's, it's interesting. People get really heated about the word toxic. I wonder why that is. I don't know. I think it's become a buzzword lately. I mean, it's, uh, it has a lot of loaded meaning, I guess. Well, and I don't know that it's necessarily, um, inaccurate so i i I mean for me i'm i got a journalism undergrad and words mean a lot to me and i I think that there's there's power in what we say and so i try to i try to attach as much intentionality to the words that i use so that i understand their meaning and how they they can they can be construed across different demographics whenever i'm speaking or whatnot so when we use the word toxic what does that mean it means poisonous it means it's harmful right so if i think for a lot of the the casual observers Putting uh, toxic and positive in the same breath sounds like uh, a contradiction in terms or an oxymoron or, a, or at least a bare minimum, it's a strange paradox. So it's like, well, posit- you, you, positivity is good. It can't be poisonous. And yet the submission from what I'm hearing from you is that, yes, it can be poisonous. It can be unhealthy if you're, if you're just bombarded with positivity and no room to be anything but, it almost invalidates a 
it doesn't almost, it absolutely invalidates a major component of the human condition, which is everything that's not positive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I do think, you know, the we're all kind of striving for happiness, right? That's what most humans would say they, they want to experience. And when we tell people, you know, positivity may not get you there, like this constant positive thinking it, it throws people off a little bit like, wait, but I've been trying to, you know, increase my positive thoughts. Are you telling me that's not going to work? And I, I agree with you that I think people get very uneasy about that when it's not about not being positive. I want people to be positive. It's about allowing yourself to feel a full range of emotion and not just like slapping a bandaid on something. Cause some things in life, they suck. They're yeah. not positive in the moment. Well, and, and, and anybody who's listening to this podcast for any, length of time will probably have heard me talk about the emotional functioning as it is you know neurologically related to adaptive functioning in the brain and what our environment's trying to do and tell us and and how we respond to that and and emotions are a wave and and not all of them are enjoyable so when you feel those things uh to to override them or avoid them or bail out and just try to quote-unquote be positive you're you're invalidating yourself, and so when you when we get online and we see these memes that are uh, blasting us with you know, happiness and butterflies and green lights and rainbows, what we're essentially doing is we're not allowing room for our own emotional processing to occur, and thus we're not living an authentic life. and And I think that's the real tragedy here is that neuro neurochemically in our in our systems, when we don't allow emotions to process through fully, ride the wave and allow them to flush out appropriately, we end up with, with chemicals stuck in our, our cellular, at a cellular level within our systems that create quite a toxic environment within our bodies. Uh, cortisol gets stuck. Adrenaline doesn't go anywhere. Um, we have all sorts of you know, stress chemicals that end up creating a, a very negative, unhealthy effect on our, our body systems themselves. And and yet we're trying to white knuckle it through with you know just just put a smile on and and it's that band aid you talk about it's like well you can't just cover this up man like you're you're bleeding profusely we need to we need to do some surgery here mm-hmm. emotional surgery if it if it were <laughs> yeah you're a good follow on Instagram I um I don't know why I didn't follow you before but I'm I just I am now and um the the sit the uh handle is sit with wit uh so it's sit like sitting s-i-t with and then w-h-i-t sit with wit and um and your your posts are absolutely incredible one grabbed my eye as i was scrolling through here and it talks about it's it's essentially non-attachment in a nutshell and being able to is something that really resonates with me because a lot of what i say is we we try really hard especially in our field to evaluate people not on their observable outward behaviors but to see through into the inner soul of a human being sitting in front of us and you've got a post it says if you woke up tomorrow without your and then there's some options to pick job degree slash title material possession or diagnostic label and says who would you be and i love that especially in the frame of this um toxic positivity topic because if you suddenly lost uh we'll just take a family for example i don't want my family to die in a fiery inferno um but if they were to do so i can't just combat that with you know just smile 
just put a mm-hmm. smile on your face. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I'm, I'm deeply sad and I will grieve for a long time. However, it doesn't affect who I am at my core. And I think that being able to separate that out and say, look, I, I am deeper than any event or any title that I'll hold or any possession that I'll, I'll maintain. Um, and simultaneously, I can have these emotional experiences that, that I don't need to be, you know, inauthentic with my facial presentation. I think that's a great message to send to people because it's a reminder that we're deeper than any experience we'll ever go through. And being authentic about that is quite inspiring. It's really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think people, you know, when I when I wrote that post, I really feel like people cling to labels and many of them do them such a disservice, mm-hmm. um, especially when I work with clients who, you know, have been through extensive mental health you know, care, and they've been given a million different diagnoses. And it can become really limiting in the sense of like, I am an anxious person because I have generalized anxiety disorder, or, you know, whatever it is. And they, they can't see outside of that, because it becomes this thing that they have, they're never going to get over, they're never going to be able to deal with. And then I think, like you're saying, when you have that type of, of, um, outlook you know on yourself in the world and then you're faced with all this like positive thinking they're really incongruent yeah absolutely and i love that you said self-limiting because um if we believe in the depth of a human being to be infinite in our capacities to be unlimited i don't know why i would ever want to put a put a lid on that i i think i think mm-hmm. defi- definitions are nice to help us understand context but uh, to uh, a mentor of mine, Christian Conti, you should look him up. He, he, you'd enjoy his work. Um, drchristianconti.com is the website. Um, he okay. said, to define is to confine. And I don't ever want to confine a human's potential. So let's not define ourselves with our diagnoses. I mean, I don't, medically, I don't walk around and say, I am a headache or I am the flu. <laughs> like, it's not who I am. Mm-hmm. It's just something I'm dealing with at, the, at this time. Similarly, sadness is something. Grief is something. Loss is something. That, but they're all, per, they're all temporary. There's nothing permanent. When we turn it into an I am, uh, because in English we only have one version and it all sounds permanent, it sounds like I'm limited to just this thing. And that's really, um, it's really tough when you get like into careers, like I am a therapist and you say, well, all right, well, what do you, what are you going to be when you retire? Well, I don't know who I am anymore without my job. Uh, that's, that's dangerous too. Cause there's so many more things we can be. And, um, I think in the, in the context of positivity, if you allow yourself the joy of life and the joy of ever long pursuit of whoever you may be, you will end up being positive, but it's not something you're, you're trying to attain it's just something you're being as life comes and goes. Sure, sure. And you allow it, you allow yourself to experience it when it comes and don't sort of like lament or, you know, freak out when it's not there. Right? Right. I think we spend so much time fighting to get back into that space that we don't even really enjoy it when it's there. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's a that's a really valid point. Um, t- talk a little bit about some like successes you've seen in bringing this to people's attention. Cause I imagine you're bringing this into your, your therapeutic world with your clients. And, and I don't know if you're a supervisor. Do you take interns and students? I do not yet. That's next on my list, Nice, um, but it's definitely something that I've brought into the therapy room. I mean, it, it, I think it comes across just in my general therapeutic style. Um, and I'm very, 
sort of uh, honest and, and upfront with my clients. And, and I try to just bring it out in practice of, say, of when my clients are going through something difficult, calling it out for what it is, you know, and saying, mm-hmm. this is hard. This is not a great time for you. You know, what do we need to do to move through this situation? And I think holding space like that for people is so valuable. I, I, I really believe it's one of the most valuable parts of therapy is having a space where you can come in, talk about what you're going through and not have anyone try to fix it right away or change it or tell you to do something different, but just like let you have that moment. That's tough um, because you're, you're talking about vulnerability and intimacy. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's a big, it's a big thing that I do in my couples work is trying to teach partners and this is something I'm going to be really doing in the workshop that I'm holding is how to sit with each other's distress because I think that's when this toxic positivity comes up it's it's a lot of the times very selfishly motivated not that we want them to necessarily feel better of course we do but we also Mm. really don't want to have to feel it ourselves Mm -hmm. and so sitting with a person that you can't help or you can't fix we all know that feeling like with maybe our spouses or our children that it's not comfortable. And I really think that if we can provide that space for people, they have a lot more room to heal and they actually do so a lot more quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I see that a lot in groups too. Uh, you know, if you get a group together and somebody starts getting tearful about a story, almost invariably a person next to them will, you know, tap them on the knee and say, they're there. It's okay. And it's not about soothing the person's pain. Who's in the, the tears. It's about not wanting to be there while they're in tears. Exactly. You know, the first thing people say when somebody's crying, right, is like, don't cry. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And you you always get this message of like, oh, I I need to stop crying. And is it really bad if someone's crying? You know, they're having an emotional experience. They're letting something out. They're feeling. And that's not a bad thing. No, in fact, I just read an article that uh, tears tears contain cortisol, and cortisol is a stress hormone. And so you actually do need to cry to eliminate that from your body as much as you need to Mm -hmm. go pee to eliminate waste from your body. So that's a really good point. And I think, too, what we do is we we jump right to problem solving, right? So it's like, you know, did you sue him or do you have an attorney? uh, And and that pulls us from limbic into cognitive, and cognitive is a very safe zone because we get to control our thoughts. We don't necessarily control our feelings. Exactly. So when's the workshop? What's advertised for you? I am doing it on August 15th. And where is it? It's going to be at my office. So I'm doing the first one live uh, in Miami at the CCC. I'm hoping that I'll be able to make this into an online course or something um, after I do the live one. I'm going to test it out there and then go from there, see where it goes. Are you going to hold that on your website? Like if if it turns into a course that people can download and maybe it's live interactive or or maybe it's just a, you know, a pre-recorded video, is that going to be through the the CCC website? Yes. So if you go on to my website, I have a section called tools. And then under there you can find um, a shop section, which is where I put everything up right now. I have like a couple of worksheets there. I have a caregiver workbook. Um, and when I do put up that course, it would be there. Aha. Tracking triggers worksheet, how to process mm-hmm. emotion. And the worksheet is free, by the way. I see that. Yes. Very low prices too. Two bucks, five bucks. I, I like that. I want to start selling things. That that sounds, sounds like a good idea. 
Yeah, it's it's good, for, especially, you know, I think it's all about, for me at least right now, the main reason I got on social media is to make mental health information more accessible um, and Amen. find ways that we can reach people outside of just the yeah. No, I, I love that. I love that. That's, that's all that Noggin Notes is about. That's a, that's like a ton of what we do at Zephyr. We give a lot of stuff away for free, uh, but just because we don't, we don't believe it does any good locked up in our heads. And there's a zillion different ways that people can process and recover and heal and go about very wonderful, productive lives that don't involve one-on-one psychotherapy for 53 minutes at a time. So we just throw it out there, and I, th- I think that's an awesome idea. And um, hey, if you can make a little scratch off of it, that's even better. Because um, hey, we produced it. You know, it's it's worth garnering some some wage for that. That's totally appropriate. I appreciate that you're doing that because I think a lot of times we think that we've we as therapists think we've got the market cornered on how to heal people, and it's like no, not really. Um, yeah. <laughs> get the information yeah. into people's hands; and they'll heal themselves. And isn't that what we want? We want a healthy community. We don't we don't necessarily need to make a business out of it. Um, cause I've, I've said repeatedly, if I have to hang drywall to pay my mortgage, uh, because I've therapized myself out of a career, I'll be more than happy to do that because I'll be surrounded by people who are just at peace. And I, I, exactly. I mean, that's the point. I don't want to, I don't want to see, you know, couples arguing in the line at Costco or, you know, kids getting whacked on the playground. I mean, it's just that, what a great world that would be if, if yeah. we could achieve the that. goal is definitely to be out of a job. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> I appreciate that you're not, you know, proprietary about that, <laughs> protective. No, no. And I, and I think that's, a, I've, I've been talking with several like coaches and I'm actually met with like a Reiki person today. And I think that you're right about therapists sort of believing like we're the only ones that can help people heal when it's always, we got to do what's best for the client. And just like not every medication is good for every person, not every therapist or healing modality is going to be the right thing. And I want to give people what works for them. Yeah. And sometimes that isn't me. What's what's really funny about that uh, about something I just went through that I don't know that you're aware of is I, I just um, completed a term on my, my state licensing board where I was chair for the last two years. And it sounds like heresy coming from from another therapist it's like you don't you don't need a professional clinician vetted by the state to do your healing it's like what <laughs> no no uh, bartenders have been doing that for a long time as it turns out <laughs> so I, I appreciate the work that you're doing and i'm, I'm mindful of the time and uh, how we're sneaking up on an hour and you have a client coming in so um so whitney goodman is uh she she's She's dynamic. Uh, follow her on Instagram. It's an excellent follow at Sit With Wit. And uh, keep your eye, if you're a clinician, keep your eyes peeled on the collaborativecounselingcenter.com or collabcounseling.com uh, because when she starts posting these workshops and tools, um, I have a pretty strong inclination that they're going to count toward continuing ed for uh, many of us in this profession. And even if it doesn't, it's just good to learn stuff. You know what I mean? So. As we uh, as we move through this profession together, let's all start to help each other and uh, collaborate because that's that's literally in the name of your agency. Exactly. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I I usually have one thing that I I ask people when they're done. Usually in counseling, I say, "What's the takeaway?" or "What's one thing that you um, you took away from this uh, session or group or whatever?" And I want to start doing this on the podcast, but I'm not asking for a takeaway. What I want to ask from you is. Uh, what is, who is the number one influence in your career? Oh gosh, I would say my clients. Honestly, what? I think that's the people that I learn 
the most from that have changed me the most and and i've learned something new every single session that i have more than any formal education has taught me you're not helping me whitney what i was looking for is to steal a book recommendation or a person yeah. i could follow <laughs> i want to augment my own i can't go solicit your own clients be like hey uh, this gal said that you're really good for her <laughs> but that's fine i appreciate your answer and that and that i think it's a lesson for all of us that um wisdom can come from anybody at any time anywhere and um and i think we need to be open to that and that this counseling thing is not unidirectional uh we we learn as much from our, our people as they do from us, if not more. So I appreciate that answer. I'm not going to make you pick another one. Um, thank you for joining us. And um, on behalf of the Zephyr Wellness family and the Noggin Notes team, I wish you all great mental wellness. Have an excellent week. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.